happy Wednesday, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Transportation and Logistics Clubhouse. Very excited to be here. Uh, the Transportation and Logistics Clubhouse is powered by Atlanta Dispatch and Humblebee Enterprises. And we're very excited to have our special guest, Shaylin Dixon of Scale Logistics. And before we begin, I did want to give a shout out to my alma mater, Georgia State University, who is celebrating its homecoming this week. And, uh, you know, so very excited to get out and uh, to celebrate and be a part of those festivities. Um, definitely one of the, the group that goes to the, the tailgate but never makes it to the game. Uh, so I'm pretty sure I'm going to be doing that this weekend. And, look, I, I can't act like we didn't just hear that Drake and 21 Savage wasn't just at the uh, Spellhouse homecoming. So shout out to them. That's awesome. Uh, I love the fact that. The city is getting that type of um, celebration, that type of support. And lastly, you know, I mean, back to more of the, the spirit, I like to leave something in the beginning when it comes to the spirit. You know, for those folks who are, you know, who are blessed with an idea, uh, God gave you that vision. OK, so, you know, even when you're talking about it to the people that are closest to you, it's not their job to get it. You know, but you are the one that were blessed with that. God bestowed that upon you. So, uh, you know, I just want you to know that you can still push through, even if, you know, the people who you're bouncing the idea off of don't necessarily get it like you do. OK, um, so with that being said, I just want to like say thank you so much to Shay for joining us. And this is the thing. Y'all don't know this, but Shay. She dropped some game on me early in my tenure as the owner of Atlanta Dispatch that definitely changed the way I moved. She told me, stop calling yourself a dispatcher. You are a consultant, a logistics consultant. And that conversation, you know, just gave me the, the verbiage that validated all the additional service that I was routinely doing. But, you know, when you limit yourself by just saying you're a dispatcher, you, you kind of negate all of the other things that you got going on so i really just want to say shay welcome to the stage and thank you for that game how are you doing today hey i am doing great another busy day like every other day um but i remember when you first started and you just you were tenacious you always went after you were always seeking information so um, it was no problem at all to share that with you. I'm, I'm really happy to see how your journey has progressed. And you were always more than just a dispatcher, always, from the beginning. <laughs> well, look, I appreciate that. You know, um, I, I truly appreciate that nod and, you know, just your willingness to see me and, you know, help me in those times when I was seeking that information. And, you know, just speaking about information and seeking information, when you went to college, right, did you feel like logistics was always going to be something that was a part of your life? Like, did you go to college with the intention of being a supply chain practitioner? Not at all. <laughs> I originally went to, to college to be like a financial analyst because that's what my parents wanted me to do. Um, I never finished college. Um, I never became a financial analyst. It didn't work for me. I couldn't stick with it. You know, I just, it wasn't for me being in the classroom. And I'm glad that I kind of followed my own path and journey, even though everyone around me thought I was crazy. Mm -hmm. No, I hear you. I definitely hear you there. But how did you get into the industry then if it wasn't, you know, something that you planned for? 
Yeah. So I actually was just looking for a job. I was taking courses and it was it was horrible. I was like, this is not for me. And uh, the staffing agency reached out to me and they were like, look, we have a position with this mom and pop warehouse. They make polyethylene foam gun inserts. Right. Mm -hmm. So they they made the, the gun inserts. And I knew nothing about logistics. I knew a little bit of finance. And, um, you know, essentially they gave me an opportunity to work in the office. And um, it was real weird because it was my first time working for like a really small business. And when you work for a small business, you kind of do everything, even though your job title, like I was hired to just do like shipping and receiving. So I was handling um, all the outgoing LTL shipments, UPS, FedEx, DHL, stuff like that. And it kind of just grew into more, right? It, the opportunity just grew. I found ways that I could implement new strategies. I could use technology. And when we first started, you know, like everyone is spoiled now because everything is on the computer. But I was like handwriting <laughs> BOLs. They still had like an old school typewriter. And I, they're like, yeah, just type it in. I'm like, type it in. Like, this is, this is crazy. I graduated high school in 2006. So this is like in 2007, you know, it was just a different time. Um, people didn't spend money on software and systems. They made people do the, the manual labor. Um, so it, that was my initial start and my introduction to warehousing, how the omni-channel works, how supply chain works. Oh, I love it, man. I definitely love it. And, you know, it's the it's the beautiful part about that time period where, you know, we understood the value of technology, but, you know, certain people were they weren't invested in it just yet. But you, you knew it could help. But, you know, you just had to get it how you lived at that time. So and I love that. But when you say mom and pop, how you know what what size was this warehouse? Like how many employees would you say? So I want to say about 20,000 square feet. They had about 40 employees, about five of us in the office. So the five people in the office were the owner, his wife, his daughter, the lady that trained me and me. So <laughs> I like right underneath and, and mind you, my, the owner, he was an old Italian man. So, you know, culturally um, kind of being mentored by someone that's a little bit rougher around the edges. That's a little bit, you know, just very direct and to the point. Um, it kind of helped me develop some of the grit I have because I didn't realize how challenging it would be as a woman navig like navigating this space. Like people talk to you reckless anyways, but in logistics, there's no holds bar. Like even in a professional environment, people are nasty and, so I learned really, really quickly how to like gracefully chop somebody down and correct somebody <laughs> and, you know, and I learned specifically. Like, like, so you, so I lost 10% on this because you don't know how to stick up and advocate for yourself. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. And, th and that's the funny thing. I want to get into this later, but no, that's, that's, that's right. You know, there's a certain level of professionalism that you have to always maintain while also getting your point across and i i can i can imagine that you are very very adept 
at doing that. So I, I definitely want to get into that a little bit later. Um, but, you know, so far we talked about how you went to school, what you started, what you thought you were going to be studying, um, how you transitioned into supply chain. And now that we're here, you know, 2006, 2007, you know, that was, you know, those some years ago, but you're still here. Like, what about the supply chain industry um, has you locked in for the foreseeable future? Ooh, so I, when I, when I finished, I worked there for like five years, right? I grew with the company until they were bought out. And um, honestly, when I left there, I was like, oh, I'm doing something different. I'm going back into finance. So I worked for Navy Federal for a couple of years and I was like, this isn't for me. I'm going back to supply chain. <laughs> so I worked for UNFI. I did. I was a buyer. Um, I did a lot of LTL. I did purchasing. So my history, I started off in the warehouse and then I worked in purchasing and then I went to a brokerage, right? So I took my experience from those two roles to help me kind of work as a broker agent. So the thing that's common between everything is that I like to argue. Um, and I, my husband laughs because he's like, you do. But it's not even arguing. I like to negotiate. Um, I've always been that kid since I was young that like you see somebody getting bullied and you just want to like stick up for them and, you know, share whatever you can that that was always me so i feel like i was able to do that for my carriers um i worked for a larger cold chain uh and warehousing company and the carriers the minority carriers were treated differently like let's mm. just be real they didn't get the the best freight opportunities i was the only black person in the office so you know I took it upon myself to advocate for my guys, right? For my people. So I think the ability to solve problems, advocate for my carriers, um, and then negotiate has really been like the driving force to keep me in what I'm doing. That's okay. it. That no, think... else is like <laughs> crazy. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of good experience that led you to be where you are today, which is uh, the owner of a freight brokerage. And, you know, when you first acquired your pro your brokerage authority, did you immediately jump into a niche or did was it like you were one of the, the normal uh, freight professionals who first start and they, you know, just go after everything? It's kind of like drinking from a water hose. No. So I went specifically for a niche. Like, this was the problem. When I worked for a corporation in the freight brokerage, um, they had a sales department. So the sales department would get freight from anywhere and then give it to the account managers. And I was an account manager. So when I started my own business, I realized the, the hardest part of being a freight broker is not finding carriers. It's not moving the loads. The hardest part is getting customers. So I realized that if I am reaching at everything, it's going to be very challenging to land anything. So I was very, very specific and every person is different. And, you know, I listen when you, people come on the, you know, the show and they're like, oh, no, I just take any type of freight that might work for them. But if you're an average person that maybe is not above, you know, you don't excel in sales, you don't know, you know, all the closing techniques or personality types it helps having a specific niche because now I'm an expert at that type of freight and the 
my clientele base is very specific and I can develop relationships with them based on the services that I offer instead of just trying to connect with anyone. No, I definitely feel it. I, I've, I've even noticed that as a dispatcher, you know, or as a dispatch service, um, you know, you can go after all of the different um, carriers you want to, but you're really going to add value when you've already been building relationships um, with the brokers that actually uh, have that type of freight that they would want on their truck. So um, whether that be the reefer freight or drive-in, you know, um, it just depends on what you're doing. What specifically made me understand about it being, I'm going to say niche. All right. I know you're going to say niche, which is, I love that. You know, it's the <laughs> dynamics. It's the dynamics. You know, we have all type of listeners. Okay. Uh, but what really made me understand that some things that I was doing was very niche was the fact that I started with box trucks. You know, box trucks are very niche. You're not going on, you're not going on DAT or truck stop and finding a whole slew of opportunities for the box truck. You know, you have to really, really grind and meet the people who are in that expedite world and who want to actually hit you up versus uh, posting it on one of those low bore platforms. So, um, you know, that's exactly how I was introduced to you got to really find who has the freight that, you know, services your particular carrier at that time. And um, so, you know, do you feel like do you feel like the niche finds you or do you have to go out and find the niche? You have to go out and find it. So there's a couple things I tell people all the time. And if any of you are listening, you guys can DM me, inbox me. I have like a little playbook that I give a lot of my mentees to help them kind of figure out what their niche is and how to communicate it. But when you are first getting started, or if you're even at, like in a place where you're like, okay, I have to pivot because it's okay to pick a niche and then pivot. You don't know what's going to stick until you give it an opportunity. So even with my agents, we normally fit, like literally we pick an equipment type, a commodity type or three, up to three. I wouldn't pick more than three commodities for a specific equipment type, and then a lane or a region. So like my agents, they started off with the Southeast, one did flatbed, one did power only, one did hot shots. And I, I had them specifically look for commodities and opportunities and prospects within that zone. It really narrows it down and makes your search a lot easier. Also, if any of you are like me, I'm not trying to work hard. I I enjoy, being a freight broker, I, I have my own book of business. I run the business, but I don't like the stress, the hustle and bust, you know, tr like the constant, you know, uh, scrounging to get freight. So when you have a niche, you can pick that depending on how you want your business model. So for me, I prefer, prefer high value cargo. I understand how the supply chain works. The more expensive a commodity is, normally the higher the spend for transportation, right? So for me, I was picking target areas and commodities that you know, were high value so that I could make a higher profit margin so I had to move less freight. So when I started, my peers were moving you know, 10, 15 loads and I might've only moved two loads that day, but I was making the same amount of margin that they were and doing less work. So it was easier for me to grow the business. Right. That makes perfect sense. And yeah, of course, one, we understand that 
being a freight broker is definitely a numbers game. Um, so why not go after the commodities that are going to give you way more for doing way less? I mean, for the people who might be very, very new to even conceptualizing what, you know, commodities are and what would be something that's high value, what would you, what are some of the high value type of commodities that people might be able to start researching so that they can know, you know, this is something that I can do? Well, I tell people every state is different. So I will tell you the, the first place to start when figuring out what commodities you want to move is going to be figuring out what the imports and exports are in your particular state or the tri-state area around you. That'll be like a good start. So for Georgia, it was aerospace um, manufactured goods. So I looked specifically for those commodity types um, anything like pharmaceuticals, um, anything to do with technology, cell phone devices, computers. Um, also, if you are the type of person that is comfortable with hazmat or have like prior knowledge or experience, there's a lot of hazardous materials that they will pay big dollars for um, because, of course, there's more risk associated with it and you have to educate yourself more. But if that's your niche, you're spending all your time into that. Like me, mine is aerospace. So I'm mostly focusing on aerospace products, materials, repair facilities. And I am, you know, immersing myself in what's going on in the aerospace industry. And when I say aerospace, I don't mean air cargo. People always think that, you know, I'm talking about the mode of transportation. No, actual products that go into an airplane. Right, right, right. Okay. Well, now I love it. Thank you so much for that. I mean, that definitely gives people uh, a starting point and a way to actually begin their thought process, because that's the biggest thing is just what, what, how do I get there? Like, what are the steps in which I can actually um, effectively and efficiently come up with this plan? So I, I truly appreciate you giving that breakdown. Um, you know, it's been, a, it's been a couple of years now. Like, do you feel like it's, been easy building your brokerage from scratch? Definitely not. Um, <laughs> I don't tell anyone it's easy. I tell people this was this is harder than working a corporate job. It, it's harder than when I had to show up at a desk or work remote as a freight broker agent. It's much harder, but it's also much more rewarding. I don't want to take instruction. I don't want to have someone telling me what I need to do all day, but you also don't have anyone telling you what to do every day. So if you don't have a strategy, a plan, a flow to your day, if you're not intentional with the the steps that you make every single day, you'll find yourself, you know, five months with no progress. Um, so I learned that very quickly. The small little actions that I take every day lead up to, you know, greater success and greater reward later. Like today, you know, a customer reached out to me, but that was the seed I planted six months ago and I've just been watering it, right? Mm -hmm. So even with my team, I'm like, Toyota takes what, 12 hours to build a vehicle and a Rolls Royce takes six months. So when you're looking at your brokerage, you have to decide, are you just one of these, you know, quick fly by the night, you know, pop-up brokerages or businesses, whether you have dispatching or compliance, whatever you do, or are you something, are you building a sustainable long-term business? And if you are, it's going to take longer to build that.
Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Look, I want to ask this next question, right? But I do think that is valuable, or I think there's value in your experience in the in the progression of the way that you've moved in the industry. You know, you said before you started your company, Scale Logistics, that you were a broker agent. Like, so what is, you know, the question that I'm going to really ask you, but I want you to tie in, possibly tie in the fact that you were a broker agent before starting your own MC, um, you know, was what are some of the skills you learned you had to have to be exceptional to win business? Like, so, you know, what did you, what did you understand that you had to be exceptional with in order to win business? But I don't want to forget the fact that you were a broker agent to see how that might even tie into how you, you know, found out that you needed to have those skills. I would have never been able to run my business if I would not have been a broker agent first. I, as soon as people book a consult with me and they say, I started a freight brokerage and I said, okay, do you have experience? No, I took a course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On the job experience is imperative in supply chain. There's just certain things that I learned how to navigate customer conversations, carrier conversations. I'm talking about the art of falling on the sword. That's all I do. I take the fall for anything that goes wrong because it's my business. I had to learn how to do that, but also to be able to maintain the relationship. And if I didn't have that real life experience in corporate, or even working as a broker agent with someone, I wouldn't have been able to build the business um, on my own. It's very challenging because you have, you not only, you're not like when you when you go work for a brokerage, you are only handling the operations. You do some sales, but it's nowhere near like developing the business, handling the marketing, handling the taxes, handling the, the business overall, as well as trying to build a book of business. Um, it's a very challenging to do both simultaneously. Right, right, right. Did working as a, a freight agent give you a perspective on unique selling propositions? Oh, most certainly. So, I, you know, one of you asked what was the biggest, um, you know, skill set or things that I, I realized I had to excel in. It's articulating and communicating. Sales is talking to people and communicating properly. And having a unique selling proposition is the most important part of that. If you don't know what you offer, you're immediately going to turn away a potential prospect. It's just like in dispatching. I, as soon as I started my authority on the truck side, you know, I got all of those back to back calls. Mm-hmm. Hey, this is John, you know, and I listen to them because, you know, I like to give people a chance and I, I like to let people pitch their stuff because, you know, I, a, so, you know, people will be like, oh, yeah, I'm dispatching. I said, well, where do you dispatch? Oh, 48 states, all commodity types, you know, and when you get down to it and you ask more questions, it's really, no, she dispatches in Georgia and Alabama on flatbeds, right? Mm-hmm. And she could have probably won me over. I could have referred her to someone else if she just would have said, you know, my name is Felicia. This is what I do. I have this dispatching company. I specialize in flatbed freight in Georgia and Alabama. So getting really clear about what you can actually do and communicating that 
is your USP or your unique selling proposition. I love that because, you know, I didn't know what that meant. And um, I feel as though those are those are some very, very valuable tips when it comes to just people not only starting a business or operating a business within supply chain, but anything that you're doing, you know, you have to be able to really own your space and understand why you're there and, you know, what's going to make somebody what's going to attract somebody to do business with you versus someone else. I mean, you got to have something, you know, you got to have the, um, you, you got to have something. So um, being able to put it in such a, a way as a unique selling proposition, uh, I think that's a uh, very, very valuable. And this is, this is the next part of that question. It's a little bit more so after you won the business. Um, but what are some of the skills you learned you had to have to be exceptional with to keep, the business you've gone through the process of winning them over um but what are some of those things that you learned you had to do in order to keep the business you have to develop and implement systems and processes behind the scenes in your freight brokerage <laughs> i'll tell you a funny story my husband and i we got like a random contract and you know we have a total of four agents and a marketing rep so all together is about seven of us on our team and we all handle our own customers. And my customer was like, Hey, I've got a hundred containers. Can you, you know, move this like immediately. Right? So what we realized very early on is that you have to have the systems and processes set up. Like you're about to do 500 loads a month from the very beginning, because what happens is most people can't push to that next phase. Can't, get past those two or three loads a day because they don't have their systems and process already set up by systems and process i mean after that customer sends you the tender who's monitoring it who's dispatching who's onboarding carriers who's collecting paperwork when it's done who's sending out billing right because if you're doing all the stuff on the front end dealing with the customers and dispatching and collecting paperwork there's only so much freight you can move in a day and so it hinders the business growth so i learned very quickly that having everything operational set up and flowing so that I could handle five, I can handle 500 because I have a process and I can easily uh, increase my volume or decrease it as needed for my customers. Once a customer starts working with you, they're gonna throw their freight at you. And the worst thing is not being able to handle it and having to turn down freight because you don't have the infrastructure to handle it. Oh man, I hear you there. I mean, how do you how does one prepare for that? Like is it is it something that they can be doing now? Uh let's just say there's someone listening to this conversation and they haven't even gotten their MC just yet. Like is that the perfect time to start um you know coming up with processes and if so, how do you how do you learn how to do something that you might not be doing yourself right now and that's kind of that's kind of a segue into mentorship you know so just take it from there like when is the perfect time to get ready yeah so the perfect time is to get, to get ready is before you need to <laughs> i tell my team stay ready so you don't have to get ready because when the opportunities come you're not going to have time so uh, you're right mentorship so for me I had like three mentors when I first started and I went dwindled down to one. Um, find somebody that is already operating and 
let's be clear, not someone who advertises freight brokerage training or freight brokerage services. Find someone who actually has a book of business and moves freight every day. Find someone that will mentor you and help you build out those processes. Because once you're in it, it's really hard to change the process. Once you've onboarded a customer, now you realize you don't have all the documents you need, so you have to go back and ask them more questions. Now the customer's like, do you know what you're doing, right? Sometimes you know you miss an opportunity because you don't have those things in advance. So find a mentor that's already doing it. Um, and YouTube. I know people are like, YouTube doesn't tell you everything, but certain things you can find basic when you're starting on YouTube. I'm on YouTube, Freight Waves, DAT, read people's blogs, listen to their podcasts. Um, there's a couple, if you guys, you guys can inbox me, I'll send you some, but like the Bootstrappers Guide, um, Nate Shoots, he, you know, there's a lot of podcasts specifically for logistics. It might be outside of, you know, our, you know, um, you know, group or industry group, but listen to those podcasts. They talk about how they structured their business, what they learned, because a lot of it, and you'll tweak it. I'm in year three and I've changed my processes probably five or six times because as a freight broker, your job is to be efficient, efficient for the carrier and efficient for the shipper. And that's what will make you stand out. Efficiencies will help you go further. Agreed. Agreed. And, you know, I do think mentorship is very valuable. In your opinion, what can the right mentor do to your growth trajectory? Oh, it, it, 10 times it. My mentors were so um, specific. A real mentor not only holds you accountable, but actually gives you the step-by-step -step process and develops it with you. I think a lot of times now we, you know, unfortunately don't always share the actual information. Like we give the fluff or the, you know, the feel good, the inspirational. Um, Find somebody that can give you strategy. When you ask somebody, I always interview my mentors, right? So when you find somebody that you want to be your mentor, ask them, what, how, what's your mentor process? Are you a strategic mentor? Are you an inspirational mentor? Because a lot of different mentors have different mentorship styles. So for me, as a mentor, I am goals and strategy. We can talk about your personal life. I can give you my life advice as being a mom, a grandmother of five, mother of six, you know, business owner, wife, I can give you my experiences, but let's get down to business, right? Other mentors are not like that. So I would say interview your mentor and find someone that has a teaching style that works best with your learning style. Oh, uh, no, that's, that's spot on right there. Um, you know, I know that this question I'm going to ask right now might be a little, it's a deep dive, right? It's a deep dive. But what do you feel like is the greatest lesson um, that you've gotten from a mentor? Like, what's the greatest advice that you've gotten from one of your mentors? Ooh. So um, one of my mentors, and he's a male because I do believe in having mentors of the same sex and then also the opposite because you get different perspectives. And um, early on, he told me my business was never going to grow if I couldn't learn to let go. Um, and that was 
you know, it was very harsh <laughs> the way he said it, but it was true. Um, I had to learn to delegate, learn to let go of customers, learn to allow my team to facilitate and do things. And that was very, very challenging for me um, in the beginning, uh, for sure. Okay. Uh, learn to let go. Learn yeah. to let go in the sense of what past failures? Like what is that? No. Um, so learning to let go when it comes to delegating tasks within the business. Mm. Um, I, yeah. A lot of my mentees and my consulting clients, especially women, we struggle with letting go. Like we want to be superhero. I know I'm extremely, you know, alpha type a, I, I want everything to be perfect and with excellence. My business name is scale, which stands for supply chain and logistics excellence. So if I'm promising my customer excellence, I want that. And if someone can't provide it, I'm going to step in and do it. And unfortunately that's really great in the time being, but long-term growth and sustainability, it hinders your business. Okay. Okay. No, I hear you. I definitely hear you there. Um, that leads back to, um, a, you know, one of the books I was recommend that was recommended, excuse me, recommended to me a couple years ago, the Who Not How uh, book, which is just that same thing of, you know, you don't have to own every task. You know, it's actually better for you and your vision, your goals, if you can find somebody to hand off that responsibility to so that you can maximize your time to do other stuff, you know, within what you're trying to, what you're working towards. So no, I love that. I love that after I got a chance to learn a little bit more and you mentioned your company name, Scale Logistics. And, you know, when you started, it was Allegiant Logistics, you know, what kind of, I mean, if you want to, you can get it to what led to that rebranding. Um, oh, yeah. What I really wanted to know is, now that you have rebranded, do you feel like it's giving your company new energy? Oh, most certainly. So I'll tell you this, partnerships and logistics are challenging, um, like any other partnership. When I started my first brokerage, there was four business partners. So when you have a bunch of different people who come from a bunch of different backgrounds, it's really difficult to navigate that. Um, especially when, you know, you, some of you may be like me, you bring in the business and you have a team of people around you, but everyone's owning the business as well. So I found it very challenging. So when we parted ways and started scale, it was beautiful, um, because it's just my husband and myself mm -hmm. and, you know, we support each other in marriage. So supporting each other in the brokerage was really easy because it was just an extension of, you know, how we run our household. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, you know, it took away the challenges. The biggest takeaway from transitioning from Allegiant to scale, I didn't realize when I started the business that whoever holds the bond controls the business. So anybody listening, if you are starting a brokerage and you have business partners or you, anything, whoever files for your surety bond is the person who controls the business. If they decide at some point that they're not happy or they're going to be spiteful or just anything, right? <laughs> just There's a multitude of things that happen. They control the business. So you can bring in every single customer. It does not matter. And once a bond is canceled, no one else can assume that bond. 
Mm. And so that principle on that bond allows for it. So that was my biggest lesson I learned because obviously my name wasn't on the bond, even though it was my book of business. And when I started my mentor, I don't know if some of you guys know Melissa, um, Noklo, she had been in the industry for about 20 years. And she told me, you know, make sure you do this, make sure you do this. And I was so excited to start my business. I was like, oh, it's okay. You know, we're business partners. So for anyone starting your business, make sure you have really good operation agreements. If you partner with someone, have really good partnership agreements, have them reviewed by an attorney and make sure that if you're not on the bond, the person that is, that you guys have some type of agreement so that, you know, if the business goes left, which it, not all, it doesn't always, but if it does, you have some type of protections in place. Nice, I think that's very, very great information. You know, for those type of agreements and just what that verbiage looks like, is that something that you offer as a part of your mentorship or is that like, uh, do you do you provide that verbiage if people just come and ask you nicely? What? How does that look? No, um, you know, I, of course, have copies of, you know, my partnership agreement. Even my husband and I, we have partnership agreements, operating agreements. But I would suggest a attorney do it. I have a good contract specialist if somebody needs someone to draft a contract, but have a contract drafted to your specific situation. When you're first starting a business, you know it's going to be successful, but you don't know how, you know, successful it's going to be. And when you have a lot of money or, you know, any money involved, sometimes you don't agree with people. So you need to have those contingencies and then an exit plan. You know, so that if if you say, you know, I've had guys who allowed somebody to lease onto them or, you know, they start they started a trucking company with somebody and these were the things that weren't discussed. It just opens yourself up to um, a lot of liability. So definitely hire an attorney for it. Right, right, right. No, I, I'm, I'm happy that you say that just because a lot of times we like to just, you know, get by how we can get by, but some things are very important and they shouldn't be, you know, skip, skimmed on. So, um, you know, that's coming from somebody that's been operating with excellence in the <laughs> industry. Right. Look, give us that acronym again. I love that, man. When you told me that the first time, my, I, I was like, my, my jaw just dropped. I was like, whoa. So, like, you know what it, it, it was? Like, I used from being on the trucking side and I dispatched for several years. My husband dispatched for uh, like a car hauler. I dispatched for power only flatbed and brokers were so nasty. Brokers were so nasty and I just wanted to be that change. So, you know, when you're on Facebook and you're in the groups and everyone's like, brokers are nasty. I'm always in there like, we're not all like that. Some of us mm -hmm. want to have viable relationships, want to, advocate for the carriers because 80% of the carriers that run for me on a daily basis are people that we know people that, you know, my cousins or my friend's brother, you know, like people that we know. So we try to do everything above reproach because mm -hmm. when you do that, it really helps you build for long, long. So uh, scale stands for supply chain and logistics excellence. And we just try to operate in excellence. Honestly, that's it. You know, my customers have grown to expect that. Anything less than that, they're like, oh no, this is this is not, you know, this is not you. And I couldn't say that before with Allegiant, right? I could strive to do that, but now I can say that without a doubt. And everybody that comes on, they understand the culture at scale. 
Oh, man, I love it. I love it so much because it's hard out here. You know, when you are literally trying to do everything with excellence, when you are, you know, not accepting things that are, you know, the the, the corners are cut, the, the I's aren't dotted, the T's aren't crossed, and, you know, you see that that might be the acceptable way that uh, your peers are doing it, but it's not the it's not what you want to do. You don't want that to speak for your company. Um, it's it's challenging, you know, to keep up with that. But I love the fact that you are, you know, doubling down on it, and you know, you and your partner, uh, you know, you both believe that to the core, so that it's you know, it's, it's basically exuding from your company now. So that's a, a beautiful thing. And as far as that rebrand um to scale logistics you know i know that you do a lot on linkedin what was that like was it accepted pretty easily do you feel like you had to do you know a lot of explaining how'd that go no people were just like oh i guess you have a new company like months <laughs> after people would be they'd see me they were like new company who's this i'm like yes so i would tell people my personal brand, I made sure that my personal brand is the strongest brand. My business brand is in addition to that. I think a lot of us skip over the executive presence when we are like coming up with our marketing strategy. That executive presence is going to be what shippers and prospects want to work with. So when people reach out to me for a quote or capacity, they've been following me on LinkedIn they know that I like to go boat in the summer, that I'm going to Miami a couple times of the year. They, I like to re work remote. Um, you know, I have a team. I share these things on LinkedIn because most people that want, that don't know you from a can of paint, have no references, have no referrals. They want to know, like, and trust you before they give you an opportunity. And when it comes to warehousing manufacturers picking their transportation providers, they're selecting you, right? You're not selling to them, they're picking you. So in order to attract them to you, you have to leverage the tools that you have. So LinkedIn is one of the biggest and free, easiest tools um, that, there are, that there are. Honestly, Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram are great. LinkedIn is by far uh, the most profitable for me. Nice, nice. I mean, there. We're, we're right now, we're in this in-between, right? You and I, uh, we, we graduated high school the same year, you know what I mean? <laughs> yep. uh, so we were kind of like taught about LinkedIn towards that age range, early 20s, you know, maybe late teens. Like, you, you got to get on. You got to get on. What would you say to folks right now who miss that wave? Um, you know, what, do you, what would you say to folks who are not on LinkedIn right now? It's not too late. Book a consult with me. I can literally help you get up and running. It's never too late to put yourself out there in a professional way. I am able to get so many opportunities because people can look me up and they find me and they're like, oh, wow, she knows what she's talking about. And oh, wow, she has integrity. And the only way they would know that is by looking through my content on LinkedIn. They're not gonna, you know, on the uh, when I'm calling somebody on the phone, it's because I've already connected with them on LinkedIn, and I've already kind of like, you know, not stalked them, but <laughs> <laughs> but slowly cultivated. Um, like my husband always says, like you know, when you max somebody 
and I tell my team, I'm like, you have to like Mac your prospects. So send them articles, send them greetings. Don't be salesy. You know, I had a guy that I said happy birthday to two years ago and nothing happened. And then he got a new job working at a manufacturer. And I was like, hey, I sent him a voice memo. Hey, congratulations. He was like, thank you. And I was like, hey, not to be salesy, but I'm here <laughs> if you need capacity or you need some, uh, you know, you, you have something you need me to quote. And he was like, hey, let me connect you with our logistics guy. What's your email? Boom. And I just quoted two lanes for them. So, you know, it, it's if you have not already established an executive presence as the CEO, as a freight broker agent, whatever your role is, do it now. It, it literally takes 30 minutes to set up a profile and then you can ju juice it up. And nice. Start. Just start. That's it. Just start. Um, and, you know, I think I, I have noticed that over the last, let's just say, uh, for the better part of this year, um, a lot of people are really focusing in on their personal brand, especially in supply chain logistics. And that right there is taking them beyond, you know, their wildest dreams. It's just normal. It used to be who are you working for? But now it is definitely the value that you bring, whether it be a content creator, uh, a thought leader or whatever. It's no longer, you know, people really, uh, you know, kind of standing behind the company they work for. It's what am I doing for this company? What am I doing to push the industry forward? Um, and when it comes to like showcasing that kind of stuff on LinkedIn, do you think there's a, a level of too much transparency? Because, you know, you just said they would know your integrity. They would know, you know, that you got a team. Like, is there ever too much to share on LinkedIn? Yes. If you if you go to post and you're like, is this too much? It probably is. <laughs> right. So I have like a you know, extreme, my childhood was like so traumatic. I have been in foster care. You know, I went through a lot early on in life and I will reference it at times and you can share your challenges, your experiences. It's the way you articulate it. And one thing about manufacturers, shippers, anyone that's going to do business with you, they want to see you as a hero, right? Nobody wants to do business with a victim. OK, mm -hmm. so I see a lot of people share like, you know, I'm, I've been sober three years. Awesome. You know, it's so challenging. But talk about I've been sober and now I use that resilience to operate as a freight broker agent. So I would say that you can share you can share personal things so that people can connect with you, but always share it in a way that you are sharing how you overcame it or you're showing the strengths in that you're showing some type of uh, characteristics that you've been able to overcome an obstacle and not that victim mindset. And wow. don't talk, and like politics, um, religion, you know, you can share what you believe, but just be mindful that the person that you might be prospecting, you know, they, they, they might be MAGA 2024, right? <laughs> so I don't talk about, you know, the presidential election because Honestly, you know, my shippers will talk about it, like my customers, and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, you know, and, but that's once you've developed a relationship. Don't shoot down or cut the opportunity to lose a relationship before you've developed it. Once you develop it, those differences won't matter in moving the freight, 
but before it certainly will take you off the list. Man, those are some great, great nuggets right there. I truly appreciate you um, for sharing that. I mean, because they were spot on, man. You, you see, y'all better book this console. That's what I'm going to say, because those are things that I think that I've probably thought about in the past, but I never had uh, somebody that really to validate or let me know, yeah, that's, you're, you're right. You shouldn't, you know, leave with such uh, force on certain things. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I think, you know, this has been a great interview. You, I mean, you're, you're so polished. I mean, and we haven't even gotten to, you know, some other stuff, but let me just ask you this question because you've seen it, the industry from so many different angles at this point. In today's market, do you think it's easier to be a broker or an actual motor carrier? Mm, 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 mm. That's a great question. So I'll tell you this. Neither are easy. Both of them have their own set of unique challenges, okay? However, we had two trucks and we have no trucks. So for <laughs> me, I would prefer to have no equipment. And if I do have any assets, uh, all of our assets would be um, chassis and trailers. Um, though chassis and trailers are the only assets that we would invest in. Um, any other asset is provides no value to me. A truck is great to have consistent income, but the challenges that come along with the truck are not for me. I prefer to kind of flow a little bit easier. Um, you know, that's just me personally. Every person is different. Now, if you have your CDLs and you can hop in your truck when your driver, you know, decides he doesn't want to, that's different. My husband drove trucks for 17 years, but now he's out the truck and he's not getting back in a truck. Right? right. So it depends on your specific situation. I would say in terms of uh, lower investment, less less risk if you are educated and run your brokerage properly. Um, and there's more opportunity for you globally. Gotcha. 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 Well, look, I do want to just say uh, a big shout out to Brother Dixon. Because I always love it when somebody um, has been a driver, has the experience of being, you know, there. You know, I was raised by a trucker, so I always have a lot of respect for truckers anyway. Um, but somebody who was a trucker and worked their way out of the truck, you know, they, they have a different level of respect, in my opinion, just because of how important truckers are to our, our nation, to commerce, to everything that we got going on. So a uh, big shout out to that brother. And, you know, again, I appreciate you. We did have a question coming into the chat and I don't know if you have enough time or if you have time, but would you, would it be okay to allow some folks to ask questions if they have some now? Most, most certainly. Yeah. I saw one and he was asking, how do you work under a brokerage without a book of business? Yep. That's exactly where I was going. I thought that was a really good question. It's actually a great question. So a one, you have to find the right size brokerage. Um, a small brokerage probably won't take the risk or um, want to train you or be able to train you. Um, a large brokerage is probably going to have a lot of training. So like the TQLs of the world, um, you know, they'll take people without a book of business because they'll train you and 
most of the time you're not actually going and getting your own book of business. A lot of these uh, like Steam, Nolan, a lot of these companies, they have their own freight or they have a sales department that gets the business for you. So you're just managing it as an account manager. So you're still a freight broker agent. You're just not going to get the freight initially. They allow you to get it over time once you're trained. So it kind of gives you opportunity to get that hands-on experience from the operation side and then add on the sales experience. So I would find a medium to large size company that accepts new agents that has some type of uh, training program for you. Just know it's going to come at a cost. So they're going to take more of the money. You're not going to make a lot in the profit margin, but long-term the uh, hands-on experience is invaluable. Right, right. And just to add to that, um, you know, when you're going through that process of deciding who to work for, um, I'll just because she says steam, let's just stay on that train right now. OK, I would go for steam and it's because too. their leadership is so anti non-compete. Yes, that it'll be better for whomever is getting that training so that once, you know, you feel like you maximize that opportunity there and you want to do something different. Um, they're not holding you or, you know, are going to. Uh, you know, let me go and get you because you are now becoming a competitor to them. So um, that's that's definitely something that I would also add on to that. And Steam is just growing. They they, they have a pretty good reputation in the industry. So I think that they want to I think they're on a, a good track. Right now. Yeah, no one's perfect. I mean, they're hard to communicate with. Some of their newer brokers are, you know, it, it's like that, honestly, with any larger company. It's going to be a challenge um, to, you know, <laughs> no one's perfect. So just right. know that as well, because <laughs> right. I get a lot of carrier complaints, but that's for every, every large brokerage that has people that work under them and they're not directly overseeing it is open to some type of poor or lack of service. Okay. Well, cool. Um, look, so folks who are listening, if you guys have a question, I know that we've had some in the chat. Perfect. Uh, raise your hand. We can bring you on stage and you can ask those questions. I'm going to see if this young lady is still available to come up. But we did have another question in the chat that just came up. Um, when trying to get shippers, did you find it to walk in or call tr to try to get and gain them as a customer? Um, I think she mentioned this about LinkedIn earlier, but I'm gonna let you have that right there. Do you think it's easier to, to walk in or call in when you're trying to gain them as a, a customer? So it really depends on the prospect. Um, every place and every person is different. So I get a feel first by trying to connect with them on LinkedIn. And then if they take the bait, I try to schedule a phone call or an in-person meeting. I prefer the in-person meetings. Um, I don't just show up at their place of business though, because right now, like all of the shippers I know, they're like, oh my God, my phone does not stop ringing. My inbox is full of brokers. Like, you know, right now everyone's trying to get freight because the rates are so low and they're trying to go direct to shipper. So, you know, shippers are aggravated. So, you know, it depends on what works for you. What works best for me is a warm lead. So that's somebody that's familiar with who I am that I've had seven interactions with before I try to 
talk to them on the phone or before I try to meet them in person. Okay. So in an instance of seven interactions or seven touches would be, I follow them on LinkedIn. They get a notification. I follow them. Then I comment or engage on their, on their posts. If they don't comment and engage on their posts, I comment and engage on other posts that they like. So they'll see my name, right? That counts as the second one. I'll share articles. Hey, I saw your company was awarded best places to work 2022. Congratulations. How do you like your job there? Something that has nothing to do with the freight. It's just, you know, slide in their DMs, but don't be salesy. Okay. Um, Do that seven times. Connect with them seven times. Then say, hey, I noticed that you're the, the warehouse manager for this company. Great. I'd love to schedule a call. Here's my calendar link. Let me know if you have some time. Then if you don't get a response and it's like, hey, I'm in the area tomorrow. I have another customer down the street. I'd love to stop by. I have some goodies, you know, some goodies for your team. Then that's when it would be appropriate to just pop up. Right now, because of COVID ending, um, shippers being behind, like people just, they're real funny about you just pulling up on the job. That's not to say that you can't land a customer because I have a sales rep. That's all he does. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't like LinkedIn. He doesn't like to call anybody. He only pops up. So it really depends on who you are, who you know. Um, you know, for me, that does not work. So it really depends on who you are. If you have previous experience and you've worked in a warehouse or you've been a driver, you know the lingo and you're comfortable just pulling up, do it. My sales guy, he goes through the he goes up straight up to the dock. Hey, who who who's the dock manager? Okay, what's his name? Bet. And then he might not even talk to the doc manager, but now he has his name. So now when he goes up or goes to the front, he's like, hey, uh, you know, I'm Lance. I'm here to meet with so-and-so. Is he available to speak? So now it's a different type of conversation. So I would say get really creative. Right, right. I love that. I love that. I mean, COVID did change the face for a bit beforehand. You know, people were preaching, bring donuts. But, you know, COVID was like, I'm not eating your donuts. <laughs> yeah, no donuts. Um, sometimes donuts are great for customer retention once you've moved a load already and you're trying to get more freight. That's when donuts and lunch and stuff is appropriate. Um, when you do initial client meetings, if you want to bring a token, I do like a Vistaprint $9 mug with some candy in it. Um most companies have a corporate policy that they cannot take anything over $25 from a vendor. So I've bought like $50 gift cards for customers before and they're like, we can't take this. So just remember that, you know, there's comp- there's policies around that because people get kickbacks with the freight and they want to avoid that. Yes, ma'am. Well, that's great to hear. Uh, we did have a very distinguished individual join us on stage. Mr. Mirror, are you available? Greetings, everyone. Greetings. How are you? I'm blessed, ma'am. I'm blessed. It's great to see you. I mean, Jameer, Jameer has grown so much in this industry. Like We kind of got into this bad boy around the same time as entrepreneurs and just seeing her growth and development has just been very, very, you know, just rewarding for me just to just to see that it's possible. So uh, welcome to the stage, ma'am. What's up? 
Hi, um, Jer. I was actually enjoying being in the audience listening to my mentor. But <laughs> I, um, I hope he don't call me up and you did exactly what I was hoping you didn't do. But um, nevertheless. Oh, my bad. You raised your hand. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I'm moving. So I'm sorry. It says Jerry wants you to come up. But nevertheless, I'm I'm glad to be up here. Um, Shay is my mentor. Um, we actually moved freight together. Uh, we have grown together, and you're right. We have grown a lot together, so thank you. I don't have any questions, though. Okay, bet. No doubt, no doubt. Well, hey, great. Jay. What's up, boo? Hey. Um, yeah, so, look, what's called had a question from a while ago. I'm not sure. I thought we might have answered this bad boy during the discussion, um, but Craig was asking, what are your best tips to prepare for growth as a brokerage? You know that was that was close to when we were saying how do you when when is it time to get ready? But what would you say to that question? So three biggest things: um, make sure that you know exactly what you're doing, right? And when I say that, make sure that you can handle every aspect of the job. That you know how to quote lanes. That you know how to communicate with shippers. You know how to communicate with carriers. You know how to actually move the freight you know how to deliver on your promises, and then also get really clear about what do you do? You know, that unique selling proposition isn't just for fun. A lot of times new agents or new brokerage owners are lack confidence, and that, that exudes when you're in front of somebody or you're on the phone. People can hear it when you're timid. People can hear when you don't know what you're talking about. So uh, get really clear about what you do, learn the terminology, right? If you are going to offer a service to someone, be able to speak their language and to be able to, you know, do it clearly. Um, ask for clarity as well. Um, do your research. So pick your lanes, right? And, and learn what lanes you're going to run. And when you, you know, pick them, stick with them. If you have to change them and you move to something new, stick with that. Um, for instance, I get requests to do California. I don't move freight in California. So I always turn it down. I don't do it. It's not my area. I'm not, I'm not dealing with it. So don't be afraid when you're first getting started to not accept opportunities that you don't know how to handle. It's really, really hard because you want to move it. You want to make the money, but it's going to get you into a world of trouble and it's going to tarnish your name if you're not able to deliver. Boom. Uh, I really agree with that. I agree that with 100%. It is the, the hardest part about that is what you said to be given an opportunity, but you know, you, you know that you don't specialize in that, but you don't, you're like, but I was blessed with this. <laughs> you know, a blessing and a curse. <laughs> yeah, true. Very true. Well, I'm happy that you were able to articulate that so nicely. Um, and we, I think we had a couple more questions, but we're going to we're going to stop the questions at this point just because it's getting a little late. Um, but we did have a brother who said, uh, where would you suggest a carrier with a new authority, two trucks, two trailers start to get contracts? Um, you know, it is peak season time, uh, but just even beyond that, how does a carrier position themselves to get contract work instead of having to live on the load board? Well, first and foremost, make sure that your business is professionally set up. 
So, you know, hotboy at gmail.com is not going to work. Um, you know, make sure that your business is set up and structured properly so that when, uh, you know, someone asks for your information, you have it. Um, when you have under 10 trucks, it's a little bit of a challenge. Even for me as a broker, when I'm bidding on dedicated lanes, I'm matching carriers that have, you know, that in their fleet because they normally want to work with one specific carrier. Although I'm brokering it, um, those dedicated contracts, they want to make sure that you're going to be able to cover it. Um, when you have two trucks, I would say connect with people locally. You're going to find it better and more optimal, uh, the opportunities to co connect with shippers that are within a 30 mile radius of you because you can be there instantly. Um, and shippers love to work with small carriers. I always position it and tell my carriers, tell them, look, keep these dollars in our community right? I'm a small business, help my small business thrive. So find local shippers within a 30 mile radius of you. Make sure that your stuff is all together. Everything. I mean, insurance, everything. Make sure that your paperwork is together because once you get started and somebody gives you an opportunity and then you're like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me go back and, you know, apply for this and get this. You've lost the opportunity. Third thing, connect with brokers that are a little bit smaller you know, go with all the coyotes and, you know, TQLs, but find smaller uh, brokerages. And a lot of them that have freight forwarding services, they will give you an opportunity a little bit quicker um, than maybe a direct freight opportunity. So I would look up NVOCCs or freight forwarders um, and prospect them as well. Hope that answers your question. Big Gates. <laughs> you know, I think that was some really good information. Um, just even about the the foundational pieces. So, um, thank you so much for that. Well, look, now that we're on the tail end of this bad boy, um, I just want to say I truly appreciate you for joining us on the Transportation and Logistics Clubhouse. Um, and I wanted to give you the opportunity see if you had any words that you wanted to close out the room with anything that we didn't get a chance to cover or just something that you just uh, wanted to leave with the folks. Yes. So the opportunities are there. Do not let obstacles get in your way. If you don't know how to do something, find someone that does and leverage their experience. Stop trying to recreate the wheel. There's other people that are operating in this space with excellence and you should leverage those relationships, leverage their services, leverage their experience to fill in the gaps for you. It's okay to not know everything, but it's not okay to seek the knowledge to fill in those gaps. Okay. So that's all, that's all from me. Search, go for it, find mentors and never stop learning. I am always taking courses and learning because you are only as good as your last load. Mm. Okay. All right. Well, yes, ma'am. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, and, you know, for everybody, I mean, I started the conversation out with uh, just that message of if the idea is yours, I mean, if it was given to you by God, you know, just see it through. Uh, I feel like I, I have a testament uh, or 
my testimony is that I've been working towards some some things, man. I mean, a long time, just like just like uh, Shay just said, she might have reached out to somebody on LinkedIn six months ago. Uh, but you know, it, it finally came fruition, uh, just recently, just keep going, just keep going, just yes. keep going. I, I, I'm, I'm constantly being reminded that no matter how trying it is, just keep going, you know, you're going to get what you're seeking. And that's why it's so important to be very specific with what you want, because as you seek it, you're going to find it after a while. The whole point is you know, what are you going to do once you get it? So just just continue to do what you're doing. It's Q4 and, uh, you know, don't let up. You know, now is the time to finish the finish the job, okay? Just finish the job. So yeah. I'll just leave it with that. And uh, what were you about to say? Oh, no. And if any of you need help figuring out your niche, your unique selling proposition, or just even what to do day to day to keep yourself um, going, I put my email in the inbox reach out to me. Um, I also put my link tree. Schedule a session. There's a lot of information. And if I can't help you, I know someone who can. All right. Well, look, for the people who are listening to this on the podcast, uh, what are your socials so that they can find you? I'm at Shaylin Dixon on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook and Linktree. All right. Cool, cool, cool. At Shaylin Dixon on all those platforms. So Again, Miss Shay, I, I truly appreciate you, madam. You have a blessed one, okay? Thank you as well, and have a wonderful day. Thanks for having me. Anytime. And look, y'all, uh, Monday, we had to cancel the uh, Freightways partnership on uh, Monday morning. Our brother, Zach, he is going to be in transit. He's going to the Freightways conference, so he's going to be actually commuting during that time that we normally do our sonar presentation. So it is going to be canceled this week. We'll be reconvening the following Monday. So um, everybody just be safe. And again, thank you so much, Shay. No worries. Have a blessed day. All right. Peace.